Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro. You know, I have been basically harassed into oblivion about the lack of Detroit Pistons content, and I got to say, I put most of the blame on James Edwards III, who has left me on red multiple times, and he has been requested repeatedly, repeatedly. He doesn't like me, but he may come tomorrow, which means I get a different guy who, frankly, is just as good. His second year on the beat, Mike Curtis, Detroit News, beat writer for the Pistons. Welcome, man. Welcome for your Spiro Avenue debut, Mike Curtis. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. I've been, like I said, badgered about the lack of Pistons content. And I keep saying, I want to do it, but these guys got to return my calls. And I'm like, I don't even think I've talked to Mike yet. Big fan of your work. I love what you've done so far, you know, going into your second year there. I'm fascinated to see where you're at with this because I have a pretty strong idea of my opinions on the Lions, the Tigers, very strong in one way. And, you know, Lions, Tigers, Red Wings, I feel good. Pistons, I don't know what to think. I've been all over the place. So you're going to be my doctor here. So you're going to be my unlicensed medical professional. I want to start here. And this is a recent change in, in our prep for tonight. Sir Thompson, I am pleasantly surprised with what I saw. Fifth overall pick, really good showing in Summer League. Yeah, I know, Summer League, all the asterisks and stuff. We understand that. I'm not going to go through that. Osir Thompson, what do you think from what you've seen so far? Early impressions, have you been surprised by what you've seen from him in the early going here? Not at all. I think what you see from Osir is what you get. I think the Pistons already knew kind of what they wanted when they drafted him with the fifth pick. Um, They're going to get a guy who's who's pretty much going to do it on both ends of the floor. Um, We saw he defended well. He rebounded well. He scored when needed to. Um, I think his feel for the game is particularly what sticks out. He looks like he's in control of kind of like every possession. Um, And I think like his playmaking, like we saw last night, is pretty much what's going to keep him on the floor. So you think Asar's the better brother is is the I'm not going to go that far because there there were um, chirps that are chirpings that a man was better than Asar. But when you take a look at just the total overall game, I think Asar is a good fit with the Pistons. He seems like a Swiss Army knife, and I think the Andre Iguodala comp makes a lot of sense just from the very limited sample size where, like, big-time score, probably not. I don't rule anything out. You never know, but probably not, but good enough to be in that, you know, 10 to 14 range that uh, Iguodala was at his peak and just does so many other things, can pass. You know, defend, rebound. Do you think that's a crazy comp? I know it's very, very small sample size of what we've seen, but do you see, see that sort of comparison being you know, ringing true to you? Yeah, I know Troy Weaver was the first one to say he saw comparisons of Asar Thompson to Andre Iguodala, and when you take a look at what he's done in summer league so far, I think it kind of fits that bill. I know the first game he was still feeling everything out, um, playing behind Ivy, playing behind Duran, but. And then the second game, he tried to find his shot a little bit more. Um, That shot fell flat more times than not. But in the third game, when he was the primary facilitator, he had control of the team pretty much. I think we saw him like kind of be that Swiss Army knife. He he's similar somewhat. I'm not talking about the game at all. I'm talking about between the ears to Cade Cunningham. 
And that's mm. what I like about what they're doing here, just big picture. And we'll talk about big picture a little bit later. Yeah. But he seems kind of like a piston in the mold that they're going for. And when we've seen this thing work, where he's a hard worker, he's not mm. making any waves, he's very good as a system guy and isn't going to cause problems. Like you're never going to have to worry about, oh, is that guy bringing it tonight? Or is he right. going to be caught up in some controversy, you know, that's going to be a distraction? He just seems like kind of an old soul, which I think Kate is as well. Does he seem to fit the personality you think, or is that just sort of incidental? Do you think they weighed that when they made this decision at five? Yeah, one thing that Troy Weaver always kind of vets out with anyone he drafts is character and also whoever he trades for. He wants to make sure like that player is going to come into the team and kind of mesh with all the guys and not be a deterrent to what they've already kind of built. And I think Asar kind of fits that bill because, like you say, he's 20 years old. And he's very respectful. He's very knowledgeable of the game. He's aware of like the questions that are being asked. Um, he doesn't do too much impressors. He he asks. He answers exactly what you ask him. So um, I think his character, from a character standpoint, he's not going to come in and try to like say, "Oh, this is my team. I got to shine." I think he's going to um, kind of fit the mold of everyone else. Do you get the vibe? As a brief digression, is this Cade Cunningham's team already? Is that is that sort of the feeling you get? Right now with where they're at? Yeah, I think it's established that Cade is the focal point, the center of this rebuild. And I think that's why we didn't see a lot of like splashy signings in free agency. I think they're building around Cade um, with Ivy as the complement. You got the veterans in Burks, um, Bogdanovich, now Harris and Monte Morris. So I think they're trying to center everything around Cade. It's just going to be, is he going to be healthy enough to kind of shoulder the load? And Ivy... He, he fits that aforementioned mold, too. Another guy that you're never going to have to worry about that plays his ass off. So I yeah. I don't think it's accidental or coincidence. Cade, he was the borderline consensus, number one. That's fine. But there's some you know ability to move around with other moves. And Weaver still seems to be fitting that pattern of looking for a certain guy. Uh, we can talk about whether Marvin Bagley fits that or not I, maybe a little bit later. I, he's the only one where I was kind of like, yeah, really? I don't, I don't see that as a Weaver thing. But the I know you saw the Dumars because you quoted it on Twitter, the Dumars line mid-game with Asar Thompson yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you saw it. So for those that haven't seen it, Ben, can you roll that really quick? This is Joe Dumars during Summer League yesterday, just uh, in awe of Asar Thompson. It's still an enjoyable game for the people involved in it. Absolutely. You're, uh, Corey, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Corey. Well, this kid is good. Yes, anyway, uh, <laughs> well, this kid is good, man. Uh, you're absolutely right. Now, the flopping. So, I mean, Dumar's interrupting himself to to break it down. But I, I really, you can see, again, with all the caveats with the summer league, we get it. But you can see what they like and how that guy plays. I don't know how high the ceiling is. Maybe it's high. I see him as a very high floor guy, though. There's no way almost if as long as he's healthy that that kid's not pretty good right i mean is that yeah. a fair read on this absolutely just by looking at that play you see he was able to kind of use his speed to get past two defenders for a dunk um maybe that's not there in the regular season maybe somebody rotates over but then he'll have to make a quick decision on whether whether to continue to attack the paint or get his teammates involved and based off what we've seen so far i think he'll make the the accurate read but um, as far as his ceiling and his floor, like you said, I think he's only going to get better. And if he develops a formidable jump, a 
formidable jump shot, if he's like league average from three point range, I think he'll be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, you you said it. I mean, formidable, but then just even the league average part. I don't even need him to be formidable. It'd be great. If yeah. he can get to that like kind of 37, 38% range, anything above that would be awesome. But just be credible from there. That kid can really do almost everything at that point if he can develop that outside shot. That seems to be the one knock on him. He's obviously an incredible athlete. He mm-hmm. plays his ass off on defense. It seems to be the one missing thing. And, you know, they pointed out he got better in that overtime elite thing at the end. Like the percentage was ticking up. It still wasn't where you'd want it to be. But I think that was, I mean, I was between him and and Whitmore. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. Whitmore looked pretty good at the same same token. That would look pretty silly knowing how much he tumbled if you had taken him at five. But I, I feel like they got it right. Was there someone on the board where you thought, I don't know, I, I could have seen going for that guy instead of Asar? Do you think this was a no-brainer, both in your mind but also in the mind of the Pistons? Yeah, it's interesting because um, days before the draft, all the big boards had Whitmore, Jairus Walker. Um, they said the Pistons could even go for a guy like Taylor Hendricks, who was pretty formidable on the defensive end. but. I think they made the right selection so far with the SAR, just seeing how he fits in from a character standpoint and um, with his play, because you don't want someone to come in who wants to take away from what they've already built. Like they have established Cade as the guy they brought in Ivy to kind of compliment. And now they have all these shooters that both those guys and the SARS playmakers can just dish it to because they're going to attract all the attention. And you got a guy in Duran who's a force in the middle. So um, I think they made the right selection at number five. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. Again, my only one, I, I'm curious to see how the, the Whitmore thing yeah. plays out because that was one of the curiosities of the draft as it unfolded. And everyone said, what's wrong with this kid? And it's, it looks pretty good to me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know there was a health question and God, you know, I don't know if there was a character red flag. I don't know what that was about. But to me, it was always one of those two guys, not a big Jairus Walker guy. Summer League in general, you know, you were out there for the the front end of that out in Vegas. Yeah. I'm sure you saw some crazy stuff. I, I heard it's like one of the best times to go out there and you just see, you know, big time NBA guys like LeBron will be walking around at a casino, you know. But the overall impressions aside from Asar, was there anything sasser? Anything surprising to you? Someone that looked better than you thought, not quite as good as you thought? What did you sort of take from that, aside from Asar in Vegas? Yeah, Pistons-wise or? Just straight Pistons-wise, yeah. Okay. So when I took a look at Asar, this is pretty much my first time watching him play live. Um, I caught him a little bit last in spurts last season in Houston, but um, my first impression of watching him was this guy is a gamer, like on both ends of the floor. Um, I think the way he's able to kind of get his own shot from three point range, whether he's making them or not, he's going to take them. So I think as a defender, you got to respect it. And the Pistons don't have a lot of guys like that already who can kind of just manufacture their own shot um, from three point range. So I think that's pretty good to see. And the way he was able to kind of distribute the ball yesterday, I think he ended up with maybe seven or eight assists. Um, That's a bonus, too, because you got guys like Killian Hayes, Ivy. Cunningham, but if you have another guy like Sasser who can get others involved, I think that bodes well. So, I mean, those those late round or late first round picks, I should say, for the NBA, it's not like the NFL. The hit rate is pretty low. I mean, do you think he's a, a decent bet to buck the trend? 
not just to be clinging onto a roster for dear life for five years and then he's gone, but to be a real rotational guy on a functional, solid team. Does he seem yeah. like he could fit that? It's funny because when you have four-year guys come in, like a lot of them come in with the experience because they've been in different type of situations during college. Whereas you have a guy that's one and done, they've only seen a tiny bit of college basketball. Now they're competing against pros. So I think that experience is going to help them. And I think particularly you saw it last night when he got the steal and got the layup to kind of get him to leave for good. Like after having such a struggling night offensively for him to like kind of lock in defensively and then give his team the, the win. I think that said a lot. Just I mean, about it. I, I, I firmly believe with Asar just putting a button on that. Asar is a guy that I, I said, there's no way he fails. In my opinion, I would be stunned outside of that top, you know, two or three guys in any given draft. There's not a whole lot of guys where I can't find some way that they fail in the league. I can't find it with that guy. And I think it's a, a really encouraging sign where even if it doesn't reach sort of the pinnacle and the peak of what we think it could, mm-hmm. they got a good player. And this team, I mean, they were dead last in the league last year. They need good players. So yeah. I'm, I'm very encouraged by it just in general. And I thought it was an encouraging uh, early showing from him, and he's an eyeball test guy. Asar's an eyeball test guy. Sasser, I don't know. I, I I could just blindly bet against every guy that's taken outside of the lottery, <laughs> and I'm gonna have a really high hit rate. And yeah, I have to know who the player is. Just tell me where they were taken. It's just it's so hard, but certainly worth the chance. And nothing uh, odd about taking him. Was a hell of a player in college. I want to pivot to what I argue is by far the most important issue. I open with Asar because Asar was you know dunking on guys 12 hours ago. But this is really the lead. And it's a little bit negative, which is another reason to go second. Concerning Cade Cunningham and my concerns with Cade Cunningham. Now, I'm going to phrase it like this. I have no doubts about the guy's game, no questions about him as a leader. In fact, the complete opposite on both counts. I love both. I love the guy as a leader. I think he's exactly what you want, made in a lab Never going to cause a problem. Plays his ass off. Unselfish. He, he checks every box there. I love his game. His old man game is just a textbook for me. I love that stuff. The above the rim stuff is great. I love that methodical. I'm a Michigan State guy. Cassius Winston was that, you know, rock you and, and you know, he'll kind of cradle you to death. I love everything about that. So put that aside. This is not a Cade Cunningham criticism for anything he can really control. But the injury thing, I would argue, is the least emphasized, most under-discussed topic with this team. I don't see how this isn't a, a more prominent issue, and it's not about you. Nobody's really talking about it. The writers, the fans, you know, I'm a rare exception. So, Ben, can you throw up just to get an idea of where we're at with the the history and the very short time of Cade and the list of, of ailments that we've seen so far? Now, again, it's early, but these are facts. He has missed 88 games in two years. And I'm not too worried about the COVID, non-COVID illness stuff. I'm putting it up there for accuracy's sake. And he missed a couple of games between those two causes. Mm -hmm. But shin fracture, the big one, ankle sprain, wrist sprain, and a hip pointer. He has missed time significantly on the first count with the shin fracture. He has missed significant time with four separate injuries. And then, you know, again, throw the COVID stuff. That's fine. But four injuries to varying extents in, it's not even two years. It was like 13 months in terms of an actual timeline. 
there's not a whole lot of track record here for this going well. And that's where we'll pivot to next. And then I'm going to get it back into your lap. But Ben, show the precedent of first overall picks that have missed this volume of games in the first two years. So I argue this is a reason to worry. Since going first overall in 2021, Cade has missed 54% of the Pistons games. And if you look at the history of guys in this league that went first overall and missed at least half of their team's games between years one and two combined, it's Zion Williamson, Markel Fultz, Blake Griffin, Greg Oden, and Bill Walton. What do those five guys have in common? Their availability never got that great or had certain issues with it, to say the least. Now, for different reasons, Fultz had some between-the-ear stuff going on, Zion, maybe a little bit of both, but the bottom line is we are in this boat for only the sixth time in the history of this draft. The first five times, those guys had injury problems or availability issues their entire careers. Now, two of them are still active. It could, well, Blake, I guess, but two of them are still active. It could change. It's not a pretty picture. We're basically 0 for 5 where guys were missing all this time in years one and two, and then suddenly they were healthy. We're 0 for 5. This will be number six. Am I crazy? Am I a conspiracy theorist? Is the sample size too small? Talk me off the ledge here or push me over. Which one? Up to you. Mike, what do you think of this? Yeah, those are pretty interesting numbers. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is when Zion or when Cade is on the floor, look at how they're, look at their production. I mean, um, just simply with Cade, we saw him average almost 20 points, six rebounds, five assists last season. Um, numbers up from his from his rookie year on one leg. And this is an injury with his shin fracture, who he, he just had surgically repaired. Um, this is an injury that he's kind of been dealing with since high school. So um, the fact that he went ahead and took the time to kind of get it addressed, which will probably bode well for him in the long run, rather if he just rested on it and continued to play on it and probably would have had further further injury to it. I think that's what what separates himself. And I, I, I remember um, that I had a brief conversation with him. Um, he was talking to all the beat writers in Vegas, and he was pretty much saying that Drew Holiday was one of the guys he talked to um, when deciding whether or not to get the surgery. And when you take a look at Drew Holiday, who had the same shin surgery, like he's come back and he's still one of the best point guards in the league. Um, but as far as like your your graphic, another player I think about is Joel Embiid, who struggled with injuries earlier in his career, and now he's the league MVP. Granted, it took a few years to get there, but he's one of the most dominant players when when healthy, when available. He still has his string of injuries every season. Literally every season. Yes. <laughs> when he's available, um, you can count on you getting the best version of Joel Embiid. Yeah, and but I, I'm, I think Embiid, and you know, obviously you understand he wasn't the first overall pick, which is why he wouldn't have been in there. He would have right. been had he been. But it's the league MVP. I'm not, not shit. I mean, it's <laughs> awesome. But his availability still is a problem and an ongoing story. He was hurt. He played hurt, but he's hurt in the playoffs this year and, and was a limiting factor on the 76ers. I, it, and look, it's a five-person sample size. Now six, Kate is joining that list. It doesn't mean it scientifically proves that we're going to have these problems, but I, I don't know why no one's talking about it. Five times, all five guys marred with injury and availability issues. I mean, Bill Walton was patched together with glue. Now that was like... <laughs> 50 years ago. I just, 
I don't understand why this isn't at least a concern to some extent. And you addressed the shin fracture thing. There's still three injuries left there. I mean, wrist sprain, not the end of the world, but he didn't play. I can look yeah. up Anthony Davis. He played 82 games, I think, the first year, 80, 80 or 81. I mean, going through and researching this list, because it's, I mean, the data is the data, but I, right. I manually compiled this. Yeah. The vast majority of guys, they didn't miss time. It was our, they played 78 games in year one and two. Mm-hmm. I, so even the smaller stuff, it, yeah. why should I feel confident that this is not going to be an ongoing problem? Right. Is there some meat on that bone? No pun intended with his his <laughs> veganism. I think a lot of people are really going to take a look at what K does this year um, before they kind of rule him out. And I think there there has been a lot of people who've kind of forgotten what K has been able to do, partly because he only played 12 games last season and he played what, 64 the year before. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does when he's fully healthy. Now, Troy Weaver kind of um, mentioned that he's going to come back strong. He said he's going to be back ready for training camp. So um, I'm, that's going to be the first thing I'm looking at. We, we saw him briefly in the Pistons um, preseason, not preseason, but pre-summer league practice. Um, and as we were leaving, we kind of saw him drive to the basket for a dunk. And he looked pretty good there. But that's like it's practice. No, it's not a real game. But – I think I think I think he'll come back um, in a way that works for him. I, I want to say like maybe he'll not he won't be the same player. Maybe he'll like make different decisions on the court, but I think he'll come back strong. Oh, he's not a guy like you know Morant or Derrick Rose. You know, he's not a guy where oh he better start being more careful out there or he's going to get hurt. Or you know Iverson who was being, he didn't miss any games, but it's a miracle he didn't get hurt the way he played. He's <laughs> already playing a. a I mean, for lack of a better term, safe. It's not a reckless, you know, driving with reckless abandon game to begin with. Yeah. I have no doubt that he's going to be good the second he gets back on the floor. That's not even my concern. or I don't have any concern about, oh, is he robbed of athleticism? He wasn't that athletic to begin with relative to other guys in his demographic, you know, first overall pick. But, like, I, I just – is he going to be there for 75 games? I don't even need him for 82. It'd be great. I'd love that. I'm realistic. Most guys don't play that anymore. Yeah. But I just, it's more about can he stay out there? And there's nobody knows. I mean, uh, there's nobody, there's no way for you to answer that well. I just, I think it's an underreported, under discussed concern. I don't, I feel like I'm the cynic constantly, but I'm the only one really talking about are we sure this guy's going to be out there? And if he's not available on a consistent basis, 70 plus games, I mean, this thing doesn't really work. This whole rebuild doesn't really work, right? He kind of has to be okay, right? I think 75 is pretty high considering 82 and the league just changed. I'll take 70. The league just changed the minimum to 65 games in order to be eligible for postseason awards like MVP, Rookie of the Year, the All-NBA team. So I think that 65 number is something to strive for. Um, Not everyone can play. People don't even play 82 games anymore. You probably got a handful, maybe under 10 players in the league that kind of can maintain that workload and play 80, the full 82. But if he's able to get you to a point where you're back in the playoffs, I think he's somebody that you still should probably, um, I guess, build your roster around. Because that's the main goal at this point. This team is trying to restore their image and get back to um, postseason contention uh, for the first time since 2018, 2019. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. 
But the, yeah, the Blake Griffin yeah, year, Blake he was Griffin like fifth in MVP was, voting or something, and deservedly <laughs> so. I mean, he dragged them to the finish line of that season. But yeah, I, I think as long as he's able to kind of be there for the long run, because it's still early. They just won seventeen games last year, and they're not looking. To, no one's looking at them to win 40, 50 games next year. But like you said, you do want your star player to be healthy. So I think he just needs to to get his legs back under him. We'll see what he can do. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't classify them as trapped with them. I I still love them as a franchise guy, and they don't. There's no oh, should they not build around them? They have to. They should. It's the right move. So just to be clear, I just think, man, I wish I wish I felt a little more confident in his availability. And that's it's you know we are one injury away, and it doesn't have to even be a major one. And I, you know, praying for no injury of any kind. But we are one injury away from this becoming a five-alarm fire with his availability. We're one rolled ankle. And just as a Piston fan who's been you know, tortured with poor basketball for a long time, I just I really, really want this to work. And I feel like I need someone to give me like a Linus blanket and a, a hug or something. So we'll, we'll pivot off this. Isaiah Stewart extension. Now, yeah. James Edwards and I were the, were the two people that were all on the Isaiah train, I, I think, before anybody else. I mean, we were... We wanted him before the draft. We loved him the second they drafted him. We are big Isaiah guys. And I haven't pivoted off that. The timing of this extension, I thought, was a little bit, not even bad, just interesting. I was, uh, my eyebrows went up. So let's let's quote you. So this is you uh, in your article about Isaiah Stewart in the Detroit News. Quote, Isaiah Stewart is known as the heart and soul of the Pistons' young core a phrase often cited by general manager Troy Weaver. He's one of the team's best defenders, and he's emerging as a threat from the perimeter. Stewart is the first Piston to receive a rookie extension since Tom Gores bought the team in 2011. Two questions about how you phrased that. We'll start with this. The heart and soul of the Pistons' young core. Can you tell me why that's the case for Isaiah Stewart? What, what makes you say that he's the heart and soul of this team in this new uh, sort of blossoming core. Yeah, I think you see it on a nightly basis, whether he's playing, whether he's showing that heart and soul, that leadership with his voice, or whether he's showing it with his play, um, his presence is there. And I think it's because of the passion he plays with. I think it's because of the defensive intensity that he showed early in his earlier in his career with Detroit before he kind of transitioned to the perimeter, and now he's knocking down threes. Um, I think you know what you're gonna what you're gonna get from Stu on a nightly basis, and even last year he he showed the ability to kind of expand his game, where he was putting the ball on the floor before um, he got hurt with that shoulder injury. So he had a tough tough break last year with the shoulder injury, which kind of like allowed him to go into that slump during Jan February, I think January, late January, and the entire month of February, um, where he struggled to shoot the three, but. I think that's the whole reason why he's the heart and soul of this team. Like when he sees a guy like Ivy um, kind of struggling, he's going over to put his arm around him and kind of give him, kind of encourage him and be a vet. Granted, they're similar in age. So I think that's why um, I wrote that and why Troy Weaver has also said he's the heartbeat of that team. So, I mean, you said he's hitting threes. What is he like 31? You got the iPad. Yeah. What is he like 31.8 or 32.3? I mean, he, he's not really. It was, but this, this it was the, not, he was bad objectively from three. I'm not saying atrocious, yeah. but I mean, you look at league average, he was way below that. 
Yeah, thirty three percent for for the season. Was it that high? Okay, um, but still, oh, I'm wait. sorry, thirty three percent as a rookie, thirty two percent as in his third year. But he took two hundred and five, made sixty seven of them. Thirty two percent isn't good though. I mean, I, if someone's shooting thirty two percent from three, I'm going to tell him knock it off. I mean, unless you're wide open, that's not good. It's yeah. not. But it doesn't mean doesn't mean he can't get better. But I don't think we can bank on that. I think his value. In terms of just the contract, he's definitely a rotational guy. He's a good player. I, I'm like the biggest Stewart. It sounds like I'm shitting on the guy. I'm a huge Stewart guy, and my track record demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. But the value of him and that contract is going to completely hinge, I would argue, on the three-point shooting. I don't even need him good, but if he get if he goes like the 36, he's going to be a steal, a guy that can hit a three at a, at a good clip and bring the things to the table that he's already doing. But if he stays at that kind of low 30s, it's not a terrible contract if you've got a usable guy under 20 million at this point in this new CBA and it's pretty, you know, palatable. But I, I think this entire thing hinges on that one thing. Are you confident he can get to a point where he's in that again, 35, 36%? Range? Yeah, I would argue had he not got hurt, he would have been a 35, 36% three-point shooter. Um, and I think we probably don't even need to look at three-point shooting. I think we need to look at the collective that he brings to the floor. Like defensively, um, he's good around the rim once he's rolling. Um, and I think if he, we saw him kind of shoot, well, recently we saw him in practice, kind of shoot practicing mid-range jumpers. If he's able to get that down, um, I think he'll be even more of a threat because he'll have the versatility in his offensive game and not just be a rim roller or a three-point shooter. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. I see him as a dream like kind of seventh guy on a championship team. I mean, I you know that's that's not an insult. I mean, that's you know like Bruce Brown. I mean, you know, it's it's that kind of a guy. And Bruce Brown just got paid big and was a critical part of that team that that just won in Denver. So it's not meant as an insult. That's a compliment. Where you know if you're playing the sixth, seventh most minutes on a on a champion, you're probably doing something right. And that's how I see him. And that's that's a good guy to keep around. So I wasn't yeah. anti the extension. It just seems like. It, it could go either way. It's either going to be a, uh, a little bit of a cringe if he develops no three-point shot at all. If he does make even a small leap up in that category, it's suddenly it could be like a huge bargain, actually, which sounds crazy given the number, but you see what's going on in the league. These contracts are absurd, but I, yeah. I like them. I just think there's a lot sort of hinged on that one you know, demo. But the second part I wanted to, to jump into that, at the end of that quote from your article, you you said that, you know, you pointed out the fact that it's the first guy retained past his rookie contract since 2011. Yeah. Is there anything about him in particular that made him sort of buck that trend? Why did they feel like they had to have him big picture going forward? Why did Troy Weaver make this commitment to buck that trend finally? Yeah, I think when you take a look at the bigs that they have on the roster, um, you have Jalen Duren, Isaiah Stewart. James Wiseman and Marvin Bagley. I think Stu is the one who probably is more versatile and can play the four um, other than Wiseman and Bagley, who's still trying to find their way on the team. Um, We see Wiseman played in summer league and he looks like he looks a little bit more assertive. It was a small sample size last last season with the Pistons played probably 22 games, averaged 12 points, eight rebounds. Um, but I think if he can show that he has the ability to shoot the three, then he'll he'll be more valuable. 
Um, Marvin Bagley, he also had a, a good stretch. He he was injured for most of last season, but during the last month, he kind of showed flashes that he was able to kind of be that five in the second unit. And I think that's not that's not a bad option if he's going against second unit fives. Um, but in terms of Duran is the future at, at center. I think that that's what they believe. Um, they're locking Stu down for four more years, and they're going to see who emerges as the better big between Wiseman and Bagley. And we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm going to say one good thing about myself and then one bad thing so people don't <laughs> think I'm braggadocious. The Duran thing, I called it. Look it up. I called that that guy was going to be good. <laughs> I was begging in real time for the Pistons to trade up for him when he started the fall. I wanted him before the draft, and he was – I do my kind of big board, which no one cares about but like six people and me. But he was – I had him way higher than everybody else. I was begging Weaver to go up and grab him, and he did. So I, I feel like I nailed him being at least good. I mean, we'll see about the ceiling. I was completely wrong about Wiseman. Maybe. I loved Wiseman before the draft. You can get into the whole center going that high, whatever. That's a different argument. Regardless of that, I thought Wiseman was going to be a hell of a player. And I mm-hmm. thought it was great for uh, him in that situation he was in, which I couldn't have been more wrong. It was like the terrible situation for him out in Golden State. What do you make of him and the compatibility specifically with Duran? Because it seems, Memphis thing aside, it seems sort of a redundant asset. Is that... Fair, unfair, what's your take? Um, it's interesting because they started them a handful of games last season, and we saw they started together in the reg- in summer league. And it's kind of it's kind of awkward when when Wiseman isn't hitting the perimeter shot. And we saw Duran is taking a perimeter shot a little bit, trying to expand his game. Um, that remains to be seen whether we'll see that in the regular season, but it's always good to see them try, I guess. Um, but as far as Wiseman, I think you got a guy who can score in the interior. Um, you got a guy who can rebound. And if he gets a formidable three-point shot or maybe even a mid-range shot, um, he'll be able to let Wiseman command the paint and they'll be able to complement each other. Right now, it doesn't look particularly the best, but they are like building chemistry. Like we saw during attract two defenders, dish it off to Wiseman for a dunk. And I think the same happened in the next in, in the game against Houston, where Wiseman returned the favor. So they're kind of gaining some chemistry passing wise, but um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Do you get the sense because one of the criticisms of Weaver, fair or not, is he's just stockpiling you know, other failed projects? You know, Bagley, Wiseman. It, it, do you get the feeling that Weaver is just trying to buy up some lotto tickets and hope that one of them hits? Because I, I would argue if Duran and Wiseman are both good, which is, I think Duran's already good. But let's say they both end up clearly, you know, starting caliber players in the NBA. He's just going to trade them. There's no like compatibility there. But just as a general, in my opinion, in a general fashion, though, does Weaver see something in Wiseman where I really like that guy or Bagley? I really like that guy. Or do you think there's some merit to the criticism of, Oh, this guy's just going up and grabbing every second overall pick that didn't work out. What's your take on that as a as a general matter in Weaver's philosophy? Yeah, we've not Weaver, but Wiseman's gonna be due for also his rookie extension coming up soon. So I think um this second year, this next year with the Pistons is gonna be very crucial. And he's gonna be coming out with a point to prove. He wants to prove to everyone that he belongs in this league. Um, he wants to prove why he was taking number two overall in 2020. 
Um, I think Weaver does believe in him. He does have that confidence in him. Like, but Wiseman just need reps. Um, he's been hurt for the majority of his career, and I think this is one of the first off seasons where he's completely healthy, clean slate, and he'll be able to show what he can do with this team. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I didn't see the game that these two guys were talking about, but uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo, uh, both from the ringer, were talking about uh, a game that you know, Wiseman had been playing in and his body language and that they they honestly felt bad for him. And they said that was their impression from watching him at large, not just in that one game, but they had a, a back and forth a few months back. I think it was right after the trade uh, to the Pistons where they felt that man, this guy does have something there, but they, they it, was, it was like a pity thing where they felt this guy just didn't really get a chance to play and was set up to fail. And they like him, but they wonder if he can get that confidence back or if there's some portion of that that's irretrievable. You're covering this guy. This is your beat. Like you're around him. Between the ears, I don't care about his game as, as much in this context, but between the ears, is he a guy that's coming in, chip on the shoulder? Is he shoulder slumped? Is he moping around? Is he engaged? What's your sort of you know dime store psychology read on him yeah i actually asked him if he was he he's he plays with a lot of emotion so i asked him after the last game that he played like are you playing with a chip on your shoulder he said absolutely so he cares he wants to be good um i think i don't think it affects him um to the point where it's mental he has to take a break from basketball he's thinking more than he's reacting I think it's just the fact he wants to be good. We see Jaden Ivey um, kind of show that same emotion throughout last season. He wants to be good. He doesn't want to lose. Um, and I think that that's just kind of the gist of it. So I have not buried anybody on this show yet on this roster. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to break that trend now. And, and you know, this when you have strong opinions and you do a show – at least once a week, there's going to be some exposure to liability there. So maybe this will come and, and blow me up, you know, blow me up, and uh, it's going to blow up in my face, and people will make fun of me. Uh -oh. Whatever. You're more fair and rational than I am, probably. The Killian Hayes thing. Uh, it's not going to work, and it didn't work. And you know, I, I, this is one I got wrong. I wanted him. I, you know. I was big. The ringer had him number one in the entire draft on their board. And that's not the only reason I liked him. I liked a lot of how he profiled. It has not worked. I think we can already affirmatively say not taking Tyrese Halberton was a mistake. That's one of those where not me. I got it wrong. Just like the Pistons did. The fans, for the most part, seem to have wanted Halbert. Now you can get into the whole, oh, they wouldn't have gotten K, whatever. I'm just talking in a vacuum. They screwed it up. And I don't know. Did you see what Halberton said about the Pistons? I will maybe start there about wanting to come here. Ben, can you throw Tyrese Halberton on? I, I can't even remember what show it was. I feel I'm a bad journalist today. The Halberton clip talking about the Pistons thinking they were going to take him and wanting to go there. I told the Cavs and the Hawks, don't even, don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Yeah. I thought the Pistons might, and that's kind of where I wanted to go. Uh, they took a different direction and went Killian. So, that that hurts because he actually wanted to come here. I am I crazy? Take Halberton out of it. Just this killing Hayes thing in general. It's not going to work, right? What's your take? I think it's going to be tough, um, especially with all the guards that they have on the roster. You have Kate, you have Jaden, you have um, Monte Morris, you have Marcus Sasser now, and now you have Killian Hayes. So that's five guards who can dominate the ball and play point at any given time. Um, 
four of those five guards have the ability to spread the floor and shoot from three-point range, which you want in the point guard. Um, Killian, average career highs last season, um, but I think it's because he had more responsibility playing the starting role in absence of Cade Cunningham. So I think he had a shot to kind of show what he can do, um, but he's a, he's a really good on-ball defender as far as from the point guard perspective. But the shooting hasn't been there. And I think that's his kind of Achilles heel. Um, and the Pistons need shooting, which is why they went out and got Monte Morris and Joe Harris and, and re-signed Bogey last season and Alec Burke. So you have the shooting there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that point guard battle fits and where he lands on a depth chart. And if, if Monte, if I'm sorry, Monte Williams, like gives him a fair shot to kind of, to kind of, assert himself in the roster i think it's done here and that you know and that's what i want to clarify i would be surprised if he doesn't latch on somewhere down the road and at least become functional Mm -hmm. you know there are guys it's hard to make it as a guard if you can't shoot at all in this league but it's not impossible there are guys that do it in a backup role and and all that so i i think he'll have a career there's enough there Mm -hmm. Well, I just don't think he's got it. And I mean, you said, oh, his numbers are up and you acknowledge that's a function of opportunity. I mean, Frank Jackson almost spoiled the Pistons lottery odds two years ago was going off for like 33 point games. He couldn't find anyone to take them. You know, there's if you play, you're going to produce like anybody that's good enough to be on an NBA roster. If you're taking shots and you're out there 35 minutes, your numbers are going to be at least functional in terms of the counting numbers. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised you're more you're more strong on the this thing is not going to work train than I thought but people seem to be clinging on at least in the fan base to this thing working everything Weaver's done and you you stole my thunder you kind of laid out all the reasons why everything that Weaver's done has pointed to he's kind of out on him too finishing on Killian there do you think Weaver's with you and I on this where eh probably moving on from him there's not going to be a, a second contract here for Killian right I can't speak for Troy, of course, but um, based on the moves, I can only speak to what's been done transactionally. Um, there are five guards on the roster, and the tea leaves aren't looking good, man. For we'll him, see what happens. Yeah, the fan base is going to be in shambles. So I like Wiseman, by the way. So finishing on a positive thing there, I like Wiseman. I just I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him. The Bagley thing, though, which is obviously a different offseason that was the preceding. Yeah, I, I don't know like where that goes. Like real quick on Bagley, do you think he's a, a key part of what Weaver's trying to do here? I think he'll get a shot. I think um, you have four four bigs on the roster, and I think it's all about competition. Like we were just discussing with Killian, whoever rises, whichever cream rises to the top, that's who's going to be on the roster when this thing really gets going. Um, and I know what. Bagley's had his injury history. So if he's able to stay healthy, I think he can be a functional member of his team. Um, but I think it all depends on health. I mean, talk about scoring around the basket. Bagley, for whatever you want to say about him, rebounding defense, whatever criticism anyone wants to throw, that guy is, as the kids say, a bucket around the rim. I just feel like that guy could roll out of bed and, and give you like 15 if he gets the touches. I just, I, I love his offensive game. The other limitations are, uh, somewhat debilitating, I think, in terms of the ceiling. I, like, I'd rather bank on Wiseman, but kind of what you're saying is, you know, cream rising to the top. It does seem like the, whether it's a criticism or just an observation of the strategy, I agree with the people that say Troy Weaver is kind of stockpiling high pedigree guys and hoping one of them works out. Not blindly hoping, but I don't think he even thinks all these guys are going to pan out 
you know, to the best potential. But and, and I guess we'll we'll pivot there to Troy Weaver sort of at large and just where you're at with him. Now, you mentioned early on, oh, look at all these shooters that are all over the place in regards to Cade. You said, oh, they're surrounding him with all these shooters. Mm-hmm. Hisson's Twitter is very mad at me. I'm in the doghouse. So that's partly why I brought you in here because they've been yelling at me, calling me names, but also saying, hey, when's your next Pistons show? It's been a long time. I did a, I guess, reaction show or whatever, post-draft show, and said, Asar Thompson, I'm in. My question was, and I was just crucified for asking it, was, is it wise to build your entire core on guys that either can't shoot or there's no evidence that they can shoot from three at a high level? Not, I'm not saying bad at a high level. You talk about they acquired uh, Joe Harris. Great. Mm-hmm. You, know, the, you know, Burks is on the roster still. Great. Uh, you know, you can, you can talk about Morris. Great. No problem. That's, uh, you can get those guys in your sleep. Joe Harris, you can sign Joe Harris tomorrow. Bogdanovich, obviously an awesome three-point shooter. There'll be 10 of those guys available for anybody that wants to pay him 20 or 19 million next year when he's a free agent. So, or two years from now. I, I, I don't think that's an argument for why this works. You have to look at what champions have in this era. You can't have nobody in your core four a good three-point shooter. There, I mean, in the modern era, it just hasn't happened. And usually there's two or three guys of your core four that are at that number where they're 38%, 40%, 41%. I don't see this working without growth internally. And you have Cade Cunningham by, this is just objective where their percentage is at. Cade Cunningham below average, below league average from three. Ivy, not way below, but a little bit below league average from three. He's a rookie, doesn't bury him, but that's a fact. Asar Thompson, 29 and some change percent in the overtime elite league. And then Duran, I don't think he's even planning to make threes like a big part of his game. If he is, that's completely unproven. So I got four. First of all, is it fair that those are the four, the core four? Is that fair? Asar Thompson, Duran, Cade, and Ivy. Is that fair to start? Yeah, I I would go there since they're the integral parts of the previous few drafts. Yes. So obviously that can change. But as we sit here right now, the core four, we don't have one guy that's been a demonstrable league average shooter from three. Right. Is that that's a fact, right? That, that that's, that's fair to say. Does that concern you in 2023, 2024, having what we've admitted is the core four. We don't have one guy that we know can shoot even average. I'm not even saying good average from three. Am I paranoid? Is there some uh, merit to that at all? Do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think Asar is going to start? Whether or not he starts, he's one of the four most critical players. I don't know. Right. I, I mean, starting his rookie year, probably not. Right. So no, but I think he's big picture. I'm not talking about winning the title this year. I'm talking yeah. about the big plan. Yeah. I think he's going to be a starter eventually, and he's going to be one of the four most important guys. So I, I don't mean to cop out, but okay. that's just to clarify. But no, but when they plan to be good, yes. Yeah, I think you're going to have shooters surrounding all of those guys and just natural development. I think three-point shots can improve. Um, I think it just takes a lot of guys with, that are young. It takes, them, it takes them a while to get used to the NBA three-point line. And I think that's probably what you're seeing with a lot of these guys. So um, as long as they're able to do what they do best, and that's facilitate, get to the hole, kick it out to shooters, um, I think that's a pretty good plan. Because when you take a look at the last rebuild for the Pistons, where you bring in all these 
free agents overpaying them and pretty much trying to buy your way to a championship or back to the playoffs. I don't think fans were pretty happy, happy with that type of rebuild. So I think the Pistons are taking their time and being selective with who they're bringing into the organization and trying to get them back in the postseason. So um, I would prefer this approach. I know it's taking a long time. Um, if you're a Pistons fan, you're probably like, when is this thing going to get rolling? Like you saw the Cleveland Cavaliers go from 22 wins to 44 wins a season ago or two seasons ago. And you saw Orlando kind of get close to making the play-in tournament last season. Um, when you take a look at Orlando's roster, you got Paolo Bancaro, you got Mo Wagner, you got Cole Anthony and um, Markel Fultz. And Franz. I mean, Franz is Franz. the better. You forgot the better the better Wagner. Yeah. 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 So Paolo isn't the best shooter, but I think the Magic are building around Paolo. So... It, it, it's it's only I think it's only a matter of time before we see kind of Cade make the switch and kind of get used to the three point line and um and those, those shooting numbers increase. Yeah, I would bet strongly that at least one of those four is going to be league average of three at <laughs> some point. So I'm not betting against it, but it's all comparative. The bottom line is you're coming to the table with four guys, your core four, none of which are demonstrable average three-point shooters. So yeah, one or two of them might be, but you're still, I mean, I can't, I couldn't find another team in the league that fits this description. The Nuggets, obviously extreme example because they, they were the literal champions, but I'm not in the business of winning 40 games. I want to build a championship roster here. Their sixth best three-point shooter last year, their sixth is better than anybody the Pistons have had in that core four. Uh, like, you know, what they've demonstrated. Now, one's a rookie, but even if I'm taking their overtime elite numbers, they're six best guys better than any of these four guys from what we've seen. Granted, they're young. I get that. I just, the whole, oh, they've added shooters. Every team can add those guys anytime. You know, my friends, Greg Waddell and, and David Klein, who, you know, are smart basketball guys and know more about the game than I do, but they're saying, oh, so you were saying they weren't going to address the shooting. They drafted Sasser. They got Joe Harris. Joe Harris is an albatross that nobody wants at that number. That was a, an asset you basically did, got for future cap space. And Sasser was a late first-round pick. If, if that was so valuable, you could anyone could have had him earlier. I, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that those guys, you know, Sasser's going to be a, a bad NBA player, but you can easily find some guy that will hit you three. So those guys are always out there. You have to have a star or borderline star hit at a high rate in this league in this era. There's no way around it. So you can say, oh, yeah, they, they got Harris. They got Sasser. Are either of those guys going to be on the floor in an NBA Finals game and not embarrass you if they do stumble out there due to foul trouble? No. Harris is unplayable defensively. He's unplayable. He's one of the five worst defensive players I've ever seen in my life. So great. You added shooting. You can't, you can't use them. A real team can't use them. So I get that you can add these guys and they'll, they'll you know, you Google their box score and they hit a lot of threes, but you have to have it in the core. So I, again, it sounds cynical. I'm just I'm somewhat dubious that it gets there. But you're you're smiling. <laughs> you think I'm crazy a little bit? Am I, am I totally out of left field here with this? I don't I don't think you're completely off. But I'm just saying that when you take a look at a guy like Giannis who struggled mightily with his three point shot entering the league, um, and he's still trying to figure out a way to kind of play to that perimeter a little bit but he plays to his strengths 
He 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 drives to the basket. He gets his teammates involved. Um, he gets to the free throw line. Um, I think you want a guy who's gonna play to his strengths and not try to play to his weaknesses because that that's pretty much what you drafted that guy to do. I mean, I didn't look this up in advance because I didn't know. I mean, it's a good example in terms of an individual, but yeah. weren't Middleton and Drew <laughs> Holiday pretty good three point shooters that year? I mean, they Middleton. I, so I don't, I don't need any one of them in a vacuum to. I don't need all four of them to become good at NBA three point shooters, but I need one or two of them to. And again, it could happen. It could absolutely happen. I think it's actually, in fact, likely that it happens. But even if one of them does and they become above average. That's yeah. still way behind the eight ball. Two, if you go two out of four, and really to me it's two out of three. I don't think Duran really projects as a good three-point shooter. So you got to go two for three. And even if that happens, that's the bare minimum in 2023, 24. Yeah. So I just I don't see these guys as a core that works as a finals team, Eastern Conference finals team. And people can roll their eyes all they want, but I don't care about 40 wins. I've seen this team in 08. <laughs> 18. I've seen this movie where they win 40 games, 42 games, and get just blasted in the first round. Who yeah. cares? That's not how I'm building my team. I'm trying to build a contender at least. It's hard to build a champion, but a, a viable team. I don't see it happening. And if it does, even though it's possible, you're behind the eight ball. You just are. Like, I'd rather show up to the party with two guys that are I know can shoot versus four, and they're all question marks. I mean, yeah. I, you can say what you want. I'm, I'm a cynic. Now, here's where I'm the biggest Troy Weaver fan, and you touched on it. Okay. These people that are ripping Troy Weaver, Troy Weaver has done exactly what I begged him to do and what I begged this organization to do forever. And you can have whatever opinion you want on tanking. His general structure for bottoming out, I don't care what tanking, I don't care what you call it. Don't you think that was the right way to go? Weren't we spinning our wheels before Troy Weaver? I know you were down in Tennessee and laughing at Michigan State, <laughs> blowing it to your alma mater in the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, I would argue he set up things properly. It's just a matter of the subsequent steps. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, it's interesting this year because it feels like they were running into an unprecedented amount of injuries. And when it came down to it, starting with Cade, Bagley was out for a minute. Um, Isaiah Stewart got hurt. Killian got hurt around the Paris game. Um, Ivy hurt his knee early on, but he still managed to play for the majority of the season. Duren's ankles had bilateral ankle injuries towards the end. Bogey had Achilles. And I mean, well, you could say they positioned themselves to lose, um, but the end goal was a generational talent in Victor Wembanyama. Um, I think we we've seen teams do less and try to lose more games um, when you're trying to get a guy like that. So, and we, we we've seen what Victor did in the summer league. So he had a tough game, tough first game, but then he kind of rebounded in the second game. So um, I think the way they're building, I don't I don't think they want to be in a lottery again in the next two years so you think it's go time in terms I, I, of competing i think in terms of they want to steer this ship around and not win 17 games maybe double that next season and then try to go for it um i think that's the direction they're kind of looking in because when you look at next year's free agency class i think one of the jewels of it is going to be Jalen brown can you get a guy like Jalen brown to come to detroit who knows but I think that's a pretty good piece to look at when you're when you're building. 
if if this team is healthy, you know, namely Cade, and they just sign Jalen Brown next offseason, that that team could be an NBA champion, honestly, if Cade Cunningham is healthy and reaches his potential. I mean, if you really break it down, if I have a star in Jalen Brown who's an all NBA guy, a top ten guy in the league, I think he was second team all NBA, he's a top ten guy in the league. Cade, I think, has all-NBA potential. Absolutely. Top 15, even if it's third team. So now I got two top 15 guys and all these other guys we like, you know, Asar and Duran, et cetera. So that's where I don't think it's as far away. And that's why I think, you know, obviously you wouldn't have Asar and one of these guys. But the lottery thing really hurt. And as much as we all want to yell at Weaver, Weaver's the reason Cade's here. Weaver's the reason that Ivy's here. Now, I know it doesn't take much to bottom out. Anyone could do it. Guess what? We spent over a decade not doing it, so I'm still going to give them a high five for that. But if they had won the lottery or even ended up third, anywhere in the top three, this whole thing is different, right? If they have Scoot Henderson, I see, I was a Scoot guy over Miller. I don't know where you were on that one, but I just I feel like this thing is a completely different feel if they have certainly Victor, but Scoot Henderson, and that's not Weaver's fault. He had him in the in the pole position what, 52% to get one of those three guys. Yeah. I just, don't you think that was kind of a hit, even if we really like Asar? Yeah, absolutely. You want to be in that, that. And Weaver kind of stated this in his um, post-lottery comments. Like, there were three tiers. There was the one tier with Victor. There was the next tier that he, um, appeared to be Scoot or Brandon Miller. And then there was kind of the rest of the field, which was kind of filled with a lot of guys you could put at the wing. So the Pistons had their choice to kind of pick from any of those wings or they could trade down, try to get a veteran. Um, and I think they 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 looked at Asar as someone who can be an integral part of this roster, especially when you look at everything he brings brings from a versatility standpoint. Did you see some of Scoot when you were out there in Vegas? I missed the first half of uh, the first game before he got hurt. Okay, yeah. So I got there right when he got hurt. So uh, you were the bad juju, maybe. I don't know. I mean, granted, <laughs> it was like a flicker. That guy, I'm praying on his health just for the good of the league. I am yeah. a. I loved Scoop like, from the beginning. I am really, really high on him now. I think that guy's going to be an absolute star, and he would have been my second pick over Miller, who went second. But I just think that was a huge setback, and that's the defense of Troy Weaver where – it's the lottery. All I can do is ask to be in that position. And if they landed Scoot, and certainly if they had landed Victor, I, I I said it, people thought I was nuts. If they had gotten Victor, I think this team is in the finals in two years. Like Victor's third year, I mean. So whether you call it two years or three years, that's where I think that timeline was. And you know, when can we say that about the Pistons or any team in Detroit, frankly? So that's the defensive weaver. He still has a way out of this, but they have to add someone big. I don't know. I mean, Jalen Brown might be a pipe dream. Jalen Brown seems like a guy, though, he might actually take the Pistons' money, which we never see here with this franchise for the marquee guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know you're not a Celtics beat guy, but is it is it that absurd that he might come here? He felt disrespected by the, by all accounts, Kevin Durant rumors last offseason. He's got a little bit of a tension there with Boston. Somehow that extension still hasn't happened. We've been hearing about it, how it was inevitable for three weeks now. I don't think that's crazy that they could sign Jalen Brown next year, like make a run at him. I, I'm not predicting it, but it's not absurd, right? Yeah, I don't think so. When you take a look at um, Jalen Brown and the type of player he is, and I think he wants to win. So if he sees an opportunity where he can come in and help a young team, he's been on a young team before. He played with 
with, with Jason Tatum and kind of went through and Kyrie Irving kind of went through those rookie first year, second year woes. He's been to the finals. He brings that experience with him and he can bring that to a young team that he can kind of be a veteran on. I think that's an opportunity that he, he could possibly look at. I'm not sure if he's um, looking to go to a contender or go to a rebuilding team, but it's a scenario. It's a possibility. I just think he's one of those guys where he's not quite good enough that all the you know, the Lakers aren't going to make him their guy to replace LeBron. So he's not quite good enough to be that guy in one of these highly desirable markets, you know, the teams and the brands everyone wants to play for. But, you know, he has enough of that sort of chip on the shoulder wanting to, you know, prove Boston wrong for doubting him and, and their dalliance with Durant. I just think he's at that top tier of what the Pistons could sign. Again, not predicting it, but I don't think it's absurd, especially as it drags on. At the Boston thing, that might be dead. I don't, I don't have any Celtics insider information, but you mentioned – I was actually going to mention Jalen Brown before you mentioned it earlier. That's the <laughs> one where I could see it happening, and this whole thing blossoms, and they could be very good very fast. I, we've done the entire show, and we'll finish here without even mentioning one of the most critical elements, Monty Williams. Mm-hmm. Monty Williams was bribed out of – not retirement, but out of a year off is my take. I, I don't think he wanted the coach for a year. I think he wanted to sit out. He rejected the Pistons' initial overture, which was still quite lucrative from my understanding. Why do you think they identified this guy as someone that we're going to make the highest paid coach in the history of this league? He wants to take a year off. We're, we're going to force him to reject a deal that he can't really refuse. Why was that important to the Pistons? Why is Monty the right guy to make that big of an offer for? I think when you take a look at Monty Williams' um, history in terms of developing young teams, um, he took a team, a Phoenix Suns team, that won 17 games and within three years got them to the NBA Finals. Granted, you got a star talent in Devin Booker, but you had to surround him with, and you had DeAndre Aiden, but you had to surround that team and those two players with guys who would work, um, who could be molded, who could be developed. And I think that's what they see in Monty, um, his defensive instincts or his defensive schemes. I think – you want a guy like that who can kind of like relate to the players. I think you want a guy who can get the best out of them. And everything I hear about Monty, more than anything basketball related, is he's a good guy. And that's that's what Troy Weaver is trying to build character-wise. So I think it's a reflection of the team he's trying to build. I think that's the coach they wanted. Um, they didn't want a first-time coach um, coaching young players. Um, from what I've been told, um, I think that when you get a guy like Monty, you gotta you gotta go hard for him, and they they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Um, and yeah, Monty's in Detroit, so we'll see how it how he does. Obviously, it's a six year deal, but I'm interested in seeing what what happens specifically in these first three. Well, everyone made fun of me for saying Budenholzer was my preference, but it was. By hair. I was thrilled, like would have been thrilled with either one. And I was thrilled that they got Monty Williams. I think the the whole, oh, but he had Devin Booker. Yeah, what what coach makes the NBA finals without that kind of guy? The, the best argument is Eric Spolster with the Heat. If you want to put Jimmy Butler in that tier or not, that's a debate. But that's the best coach in the league, Eric Spolster, in my opinion. So other than him, you know, they, these guys are all, all these teams at that level have really good players. So I, I 
dismiss the oh, but he had Booker and Chris Paul or whatever. Like, you know, you got to have players to get to that level. Yeah. Uh, the concern a little bit is the getting completely blown out twice. I think both games at home in the last two playoff runs as favorites. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to the point where we're winning 55 games and we're hosting a game seven, maybe. I mean, we'll see. But I think he was such a home run. The argument for him is I don't know that there's a whole lot of discounts going on in the NBA. I think it's mostly guys taking top dollar. But for whatever extent, you can sort of steal an advantage. He's the number one players coach in the league, I I would argue. Is that fair? Yeah. Everyone I've spoken to always talks about his relatability. he was he was a assistant coach on Mike Shashevsky's coaching staff in Team USA. I actually spoke to spoke to Coach K and Jim Beheim, and they both said that Monty was one of the best guys to be around, just because he was able to, to relate with you about family, about basketball, just about life in general. And I think that bodes well for when you when you have a young team who kind of needs someone to kind of rely on like that. I mean, Chris Paul said that. Monty made him a better player in their first stint together and credits him and, and loves him. Chris Paul doesn't like anybody. So it's like if Chris Paul is giving you credit for his game at all, and I don't think he's a bad guy, but he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way over the years and he's polarizing. I think like if Chris Paul can get on board, it, the track record with the point guards, I think it was a home run hire. I'm really interested to see what they do. The, the only component of, of me at all that is a little bit curious is is there an engine uh, gasoline problem there with Monty where you didn't really want this job? You didn't even want a, any job at this point. He, I think he may have needed a year off. And is it like a Jim Leland with the Rockies thing where, you know, he's this coveted guy. He wanted a year off, but the team bribes him. And it's one year. John Tortorella, if you're a hockey fan out there, same thing in Vancouver, gets fired by the Rangers. They, you know, they make him a big offer. He wanted to take a year off. He didn't. He regretted it. He flamed out. We have seen these cases in other sports and i'm sure there's nba examples too where they make you an offer you can't refuse and you're just not in it but i mean he's a pro's pro i don't have you talked to Monty since the hire i know you've mostly been away from the team and he's not out there in vegas i don't think but yeah not briefly um i haven't spoken having a one-on-one conversation with him but um every time i see him i go up shake his hand he's extremely personable um but he was in vegas he oh, he Vegas. was. Okay. Yeah. He was sitting courtside for the two games that I was at. And I think he was there last night because we saw the meme or not the meme, but the video. Oh, Troy that's Weaver, right. Troy yeah. Weaver on the phone. Yep. Yeah. He's right. He was right next to him. Yep. That's right. That's right. So you're, you're, I, with your limited exposure to him so far since he's been here, I mean, you're even read from afar is not, oh, this guy's going to be disengaged. I think, like, I'm not yeah. even saying I'm, uh, I'm worried about it, but they, if I'm making the argument of I could see this not going well. I never like, you know, making an, an offer to a guy that just didn't even really want to be there, but he has to say yes, just in general, whether it's a player, a coach, even in business. I think I think that exposes you to a little bit of risk, but you don't seem to think that's a concern at all. I think what stands out is he mentioned this in his introductory presser. He came here for the players um, because he really likes this group. He really likes Duran. He likes Asar. Um, and he's been complimentary of Cade and Ivy and a lot of other guys, but his also his relationship with Troy Weaver. Um, they go back to their days in Oklahoma City, and I think anytime you have that history, um, that can kind of get you through the tough times when you're probably going on a X amount game lose losing streak. 
but you're able to kind of rely on somebody you've known for several years to kind of get you through that. So we'll finish here. I know you're a reporter and a damn good one, Thank and you're you're you. out of the columnist basket. You know, you're not there. But I'm I want you to put your columnist hat on because <laughs> you're you're a smart, insightful guy. The Troy Weaver momentum in the fan base is starting to wane a little bit. Not among all, even I'm still defending them in most regards. He did exactly what I wanted to do. They got bad lottery luck. We'll figure it out, hopefully. But put the columnist hat on, close here. Make the argument to the people that are yelling at me, my friends in my DMs. Uh, my boy, Cali Tickets, is always harassing me about defending Troy Weaver too much. Make the argument for why Troy Weaver is the right guy to not just get them squeaking into the playoffs at some point, but getting this team back to a championship standard, if not crossing that finish line. What is the case for Troy Weaver? We'll finish there. I think when you look at what Troy has done since he got here, um, it's in his first year, he literally cleaned house. Um, in terms of trading out guys that he didn't see um, belonged. We saw even last season, he traded Sadiq Bey to get James Wiseman. Um, I think when you look at that trade, you're, you're going for upside. I think we saw Sadiq had probably hit his peak just because he was a, he was a shooter. Um, he wanted to do a little bit more to diversify in his game. But when you look at Wiseman, if he becomes the player that a lot of people think he's capable of being, then that's a home run. And you got to make that trade 10 times out of 10. So I think Troy is, is willing to um, make the difficult decisions and make the right adjustments to get the roster to where he thinks it needs to go. Um, when you just look at his right before training camp deal to land Boyan Bogdanovich, where do you think this team would have been without Bogey? I'm mean, granted they won 17 games, but on most nights, Bogey was pretty much the the engine that to that offense, especially in the first and third quarters. And you know, he would get into a zone where he's making four or five threes in a row. So I think um he he knows what this team needs in the long run. And I think he's carefully plotting out um the steps he's gonna take to maybe get them to back to the playoffs. Well said. Great job. That was a great answer. Unrehearsed, too. Just that's, that's why you're a pro, man. <laughs> I am still on the pro Troy Weaver side, by the way. I, I come off as a cynic sometimes. I, I'm a little bit rattled by some of the things. But again, if the guy does, I'm talking strictly for me. If the guy does exactly what I've been asking every Pistons executive to do for 12 years, I'm not going to crush him because the lotto ball didn't fall right. I, I like his approach. His reputation as a scout is I mean, that's pretty much unassailable in like, his prior days, too. Mm-hmm. I still like Troy Weaver, so sorry. I'm going to get yelled at by some of you, and Cali Tickets is going to be mad at me. But I still like Troy Weaver. I still like what they're doing. This next year is going to be big. Great job by you, man. I really appreciate it. Your your work's awesome at the Detroit News. I always tell people, subscribe. You guys are the best deal in town. Like The news and free press, like a few bucks a month. You guys have specials going on all the time, and your work is just awesome. I'm really glad that you're you're back in your your home state. You're a, a Saginaw guy, just like Draymond Green. So yeah. you were down in Tennessee laughing at Michigan State in 2016. But uh, it's good to have you back here in town covering this team. You're doing a great job. And I uh, really appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you. Man, appreciate the invite. This is really fun. Hopefully I can be back. Um, and we'll see what happens next season. I think it's going to be an exciting one. I'm just excited to cover it. Yeah, you're doing an awesome job. Tell your colleague at the Rival Athletic, James Edwards III to stop leaving me on red. I feel like a desperate girlfriend. I'd love to have 
like both you guys in here at the same time, maybe like kind of do a, a, a panel thing. I think that'd be really interesting. You guys both have great perspectives and really can't recommend your work highly enough. Nah, James is a busy man. I'm sure I'm sure he'll find time. To He's playing softball here. right now. Like the guy's like <laughs> curing cancer or something. I said, why can't you do, ever do our Thursday show? Because I got softball, bro. He's not he's not that big. I mean, he's busy, but it's, you know, it's, it's stuff he wants to do. But I, I have needs, man. He hasn't been here in three years and I love the guy. He's got you, you got to get in his ear and force him. Make, you tell him I'm you know ill and I'm dying in a year or something. Whatever you got to do to get him to the table. But uh, you're awesome, man. Seriously. And I appreciate you joining us. And you said you hope to come back, man. I, I'm honored that you, you said that because I'm always wondering if people are going to go home and be like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> you're welcome. Anytime. I'd love appreciate to have you. you maybe right on the eve of the season or early on, and we can revisit that. But great job by you. Great debut. Ben, great job as always. Eric, Boxer's Couch, you know the deal. Thanks. Hopefully there were no chords that you're going to be mad about. Mike Curtis, Detroit News, Pistons beat writer. Great to have you. Spear Avenue Show. Thank you.